Good afternoon, church. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Thanks for coming and making us your church home for an hour today. Um, we're going to continue with our series on the fruit of the Spirit, but we're going to contextualize it within our holiday season. Now, I, I love the Christmas season. Um, probably more equal to Easter, but really, really close. And, and it's not because one is better than the other. We've got to have both. <laughs> Theologically, we have to have both. So they're equal in their emphasis. But we don't start celebrating the Easter season until Palm Sunday. So we get about seven days. As soon as the last bit of meat is taken off the turkey leg on Thanksgiving... <laughs> We get to start thinking about Christmas. So it's an entire month of emphasizing what God did to help us. That's why I love it so much. Is that our society actually has to try to run away from the message. It's every place. It's in the music that's played in the malls. Please, just think about this for a minute. Fresh. They're actually playing worship in the malls. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. That's not a Christmas carol, that's a worship song. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's a Christmas carol. It's a worship song. They're playing worship in the mall. Walmart is inviting us to worship. I'm just, I'm just letting you know. That's why I love this so much. And, and everybody has to run away from it by saying, well, it's... It's that time of the year. It's a Christmas carol. Okay, however you want to put it. But they're talking about Jesus and then what you need to do. What you need to do to serve him. That's what they're talking about all through the song. That's what they're talking about. That's why I love Christmas. Is that it forces us to make sure we are concentrating on what's most important for an entire month. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture, Galatians 5, verse 22, and then Titus, chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Galatians, chapter 5, verse 22, and Titus, chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. The title of the message is, Fruit of the Spirit, Kindness Appears, Kindness Appears. Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Titus 3, verse 3 through 5. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of our God and Savior and his, his love for mankind appeared, verse 5, he saved us not on the basis of deeds, <laughs> not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us as we study your word. The writer who wrote the book of Galatians also wrote the letter to Titus. Titus happened to be a faithful servant of Paul's. So faithful was he and young was he that Paul looked at him as a son, somebody who, who, <coughs> excuse me, who could inherit that which Paul had. 
And so when we see Paul talking about this fifth fruit of the Spirit, kindness, we don't see him giving definition to it in the book of Galatians. But we do see him giving some, some degree of understanding about what kindness looks like and when it should appear and what it should do when it does. This passage probably is the, the greatest explanation of the impact of kindness. Now because we read our Bible, we generally read it in retrospect understanding that God really loves us and does everything he possibly can to try to woo us to his presence and that he's interested in our well-being and does not want to judge us for our sin. And so we read a passage like this with understanding almost looking forward after we've read a difficult part of it which is hateful, hating one another, giving ourselves to malice and envy. Uh, we look at that and we say, well, there's got to be good, something good that's coming after this because we know what God does for us. But I think it's important to understand why the writer is writing the way he is to really get the impact of what he's trying to communicate. And when you look at verse 3 and you understand how sin messes people up, that sin demands judgment, that our misdeeds need to be accounted for and that we fit in the categories listed that we were foolish, disobedient, not bringing pleasure to our God, living our lives on lustful things and in pleasures that were impure, giving ourselves to envy and malice, envy Envy is desiring that which is somebody else's. Often jealousy and envy are used as synonyms. They are not. Jealousy is desiring that which is your own. Envy is desiring that which is somebody else's. Both of them can have really dangerous effects on people if they're not perceived well. Envy is always bad. Jealousy in its formation is natural and good. It says that God jealously desires the spirit that he has put within us. So when 1 Corinthians says love is not jealous, it's not the best English word to use here. It should be love is not envious. But because we use envy and jealousy as synonyms, that English word is used. But the meanings are really important because love is not envious, yes, but God is jealous for us in that we would give ourselves to ungodly things and to idols that are not God. He realizes we've been made for him. And he wants us to be with him. He desires us to be with him. He can't stand that we are wasting our life on something that doesn't matter. It's not real. And it's destroying us. And so he jealously desires. That's not why I created you. Don't do that. Don't go there. And whenever a husband and wife find that there is somebody out there who is interested in the other party. There ought to be something that rises up in the husband or wife that says, uh-uh, you're mine, I'm yours. Now, this is where the bad can come in with jealousy. You can do stupid stuff because you're jealous. <laughs> Simply because you have a right motivation in being jealous for that which is yours, your relationship, doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. Don't act crazy. Don't show up at the, at the dude's front door with, with packing. Don't do that. 
Do not do that. The jealousy is there in order to try to preserve what you have, not to get the other party. But here he's not talking about that. He's talking about envy. Which is, you have something I like and I want it. In fact, you have something that should be mine. Malice. Malice is just a bad attitude and wanting everybody to be judged for, for, for what they're doing wrong. Just looking at life through a lens of critical behavior. Always having the sour taste in your mouth about everything and wanting the whole world to feel as bad as you feel. Anybody rejoicing, it just kind of irks you because you can't. Malice. And then hateful and hating one another. Now, you may say, well, pastor, I don't know that I've really ever been in those categories. Either you are not self-aware or you haven't lived long enough. One of the two. And if you haven't lived long enough, then you will be given ample opportunity to be tempted in these areas. Somebody's going to do something to you that you are not going to like. So much so that it will tempt you to hate. And it may not be that kind of hate that says, hey, every day of your life you're just seething whatever you see him. I want bad things to happen to you. I want it. I want a bad thing to happen to you. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. It may not be that. It just may be reflected that when something bad does happen, you kind of go, huh. Rather than being merciful. These qualities and many more like them define a life apart from God. And that life needs to be judged. That, that would be what should come after verse 3. So let, let me see if I can put it, put it in better context. We were foolish and disobedient. We knocked off a 7-Eleven. We robbed somebody at gunpoint. We mugged a little kid, took his lunch money. What should come next? You go to jail. You go to jail. You aren't just a person who made a mistake. You are a habitual, patterned criminal. And you don't, your practice is to do wrong. You, you shouldn't be out in society anymore. You need punishment. That's what ought to come after verse 3. But we don't feel that way because we know our God forgives. But if you don't understand what ought to come after verse 3, you can't appreciate verse 4. <laughs> I shouldn't be breathing. I should not have the privilege of enjoying what I enjoy in this life, a beautiful wife, a great family, the best church on the planet, friends who won't leave me, I should not have those privileges. Not to mention the fact that I shouldn't go to heaven, nor should God like me. I shouldn't have any of that. But I got it all. And more. Not because I deserved it. But the kindness of my God and his love for mankind appeared. In contrast to everything that I was. Oh, the best representation of kindness is when we can see it when it does its best work. 
Generally, we are kind to our friends. We're kind to people who are kind to us. It's a good thing. I mean, it's, it's the way we do relationships. But Jesus said it like this when he was talking about love in Matthew chapter 5. and the Beatitudes, he said, what is it if you love those who love you? He said, even the world, the Gentiles, the nations who don't consider themselves a part of the covenant. He said, even the world can do that. Meaning, when you love somebody who loves you, you get no credit before God. None. I mean, you, 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 you want to feel like it makes you a better person. But God is not impressed. But we think he should be impressed because at least we didn't do nothing wrong. I mean, at least I did not love somebody who loved me. And because we haven't done anything wrong, we want pats on the back. We think that we really deserve some commendation. When we, when we don't do wrong, because it's, it's really hard for us to do right. Guy came to me, said, Pastor, I went out to the club the other day with my buddies. And um, I want you to know they were doing stuff, but I wasn't. I felt really good when I walked out. I didn't do nothing. He was testifying to me. And he wanted me to say, congratulations. I'm so proud of you. You didn't sleep with her. Hallelujah. You didn't. You, you, you didn't get drunk. Oh, great day. Hallelujah. God doesn't praise us for not doing wrong. But that's how messed up we are. We are so messed up, so geared toward doing wrong, that we think we need some kind of commendation if we don't. We haven't done anything right yet. And so when we talk about kindness, kindness and love are things that are expressed. It's just not the cessation of doing wrong. It is the intentionality of doing right. Jesus said, what is it? If men love you and you love them back, that's easy. I tell you this. Be like your father in heaven who's perfect. Love your enemies. Why? That would have been the next question for the disciples. Why? They're my enemies. I've categorized my life, my family, my friends, those who I don't care about at all but don't have any issue with, and then my enemies. Why would I love the people who hate me? Because God wants to reach them. It's not just about how you need to relate to people. It's about how he wants to relate to people, and he wants to do it through you. So we think, again, I don't want to belabor this point, but it, <laughs> the nail's still sticking out of the wall. We think if we haven't brought judgment down on our enemies, we've done good. At least I didn't verbally slap them when they slapped me. I mean, they said that horrible thing to me. And I just, <clears throat> thank you, Holy Spirit. I restrained what I was going to say. I wanted to say something, but I didn't. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We think we've done something if we haven't done bad. 
But that's not what kindness did. This is the beauty about the, the gap between verse 3 and 4 is that after you get past verse 3, not only, does not, not, not only does God not proactively judge us, which he could, but he does something active to help us. He doesn't just not do what we deserve. He does what we don't deserve. And we are, you want to know what kindness looks like? Do what people don't deserve. That's kindness. Give to people when they are selfish. Love them when they are unlovable. Honor them when they defame you. Prefer them when they don't you. That's kindness. God did not just not judge you. He brought about blessing to you. Kindness supersedes nice. Nice is an outgrowth of good manners. I'm glad for nice. Nice is good. Nice is better than not nice. But nice is not kind. Sometimes you have to be kind and not be very nice. You have to tell people stuff they don't want to hear. Bridge out. You keep going that way, you're going to go over a cliff. And it's going to be very difficult for you to recover. Stop. Stop the car right now. Take this right turn. Don't keep going. That may not be very nice because they don't want to hear it. But it's real kind because you care about them. Now, we would enjoy it if, we re if, if, if kind had a lot of nice to it. Please don't go off the cliff. I care about you so much. I don't want you to die. Stop the car if you would. But sometimes it just don't make no sense to be nice like that. When it's urgent, you just need to be kind. And God sometimes has to say this before he says anything else. Repent. It may not be very nice, but he's awful kind. Because repentance means bridge out, make a 180, change your mind to the direction in which you were going, start to go the other direction so you don't die. Repentance is one of the best things you could ever hear. It's really kind of God. So kind. What would be unkind is if he said nothing and just watched you go over the cliff. Do not be mad. Don't be mad about how the gift is wrapped. So mad that you don't accept it. So the packaging didn't come like you wanted it. So you're getting it from a little black man with a bow tie that's sitting on a stool today. It may not have been how you desired to receive it, but it's a gift to you. You may not like my presentation. You may not like anything that we do, but if you got a gift, get it and deal with the brown paper bag. Sometimes kindness is not nice. Hearing hard things. But it's helpful. God loves us like that. He didn't just not judge us. But when the kindness of our God and Savior and his love for mankind appeared in here, here we have the beauty of how love and kindness work together. First of all, kindness appears in contrast to our condition. 
So God is intentionally giving us something that we don't deserve. And we should be grateful for that every day. That ought to be enough for you to get up out of your bed every day and worship. Regardless of how your life is going, you get up every day and worship because God treats you with the disposition of kindness every day. Every day. But then, kindness partners with love. So, so we say we love people. But if we are not kind to them, they don't know that. No matter how much we say it. Example. You love somebody. Reverse. Somebody loves you, but they are mean to you. So they come up, verbally say something that's extremely offensive, and they say, but I love you. We're not talking about something that was constructive in its offense. We're talking about something that was demeaning in its offense. You're an idiot, but I love you. <laughs> that don't make no sense. That is incongruous. Why did you, why did you say that? Being unkind to people is the way they tell we don't love them. So kindness is one of the best expressions of our love for, for others. It's the way love manifests itself. How do we see romance between a husband and wife, a couple? Somebody thinks differently about themselves than they do about somebody else. And they're not any longer trying to please themselves. They're trying to unusually please their partner. And all it is is a very emotionally engaged act of kindness. So flowers are sent on a Tuesday when it's nobody's birthday and nobody's anniversary. And the spouse gets the flowers. What are these for? We say, because I love you. But it was an expression of kindness. Kindness is that which allows love to have a voice beyond just your words. Now, words can be those which express kindness in our disposition, in our demeanor, in our tone. But the best way to do it is to show it. And what did God do in the face of our offense? He appeared with kindness, partnering with love in the form of our God and Savior. He didn't just show up with nice words. The words are important. And he had a lot of them to say called the Old Testament. We value them greatly. But that wasn't the full solution. The full solution was to show up with the word made flesh and have it dwell among us. So our God and Savior came and it wasn't just enough that he said, I'm not going to, to judge you for your sin. He said, I'm going to pay for it myself. The reality of the pain that it caused Christ to give us a Merry Christmas should never escape you. That he had to give up a lot. The father had to watch his son be brutally beaten. And I don't know about you, but if anyone were to come against my boys, my children, my wife, anybody I love deeply, you'd have to restrain me. I, would, I wouldn't much care about whether I needed to be a good witness at this moment. Somebody's going to be punished. And God let his son take the punishment for us, though we deserved it. 
the pain his heart had to feel to watch his boy go through that? I mean, whenever a child is in the hospital over Children's Center downtown, what do the parents say regularly? I wish it were me. I wish it were me. I don't know why my son has to. I wish it were me. The pain the father had to go through watching his son and the pain the son had to go through. We see in Psalm 40, it's prophetic where the, father, where the son says, a body, Lord, you have prepared for me. And, and, and we, we often interpret that as being, well, see, God makes people fearfully and wonderfully. Because it says in Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But we look at it from our perspective. Look at it from Christ's. I, I fill the entire universe. I am God almighty. There's no place where I'm not. That's what omnipresence means. And now you're going to confine me for 33 and a half years to a closet. That's what it must have felt like when he had to come in a human body. He who filled the entire universe. You talk about the tendency for claustrophobia. How would you feel if you had to live in a tiny three by three closet all your life if you if you fill the vastness of creation and beyond, whatever it looks like for the universe, there is no place outside of his presence. And all scientists who now have their Hubble telescope, and we can see out way beyond where we used to because the atmosphere here blocks all of our telescopes from being able to see as far as we like because the light is reflect, refracted from all those places and it gets here and it's too blurry. We had to send a telescope outside of our atmosphere called Hubble so we could see further. And we, we, every time it orbits, it takes a picture of a little area, no bigger than that, in order to understand what's way out there. And they say the universe is expanding, and it's expanding at an accelerated rate. And they have no idea how far it is, but they do know this, that the distance between the sun and the earth is 93 million miles, and it takes light eight minutes to get here. And that is considered right around the corner that's around the corner that, that, that's next door they are able to judge how big the universe is by how long it takes that light to get here and light travels at 670 million miles per hour however big the universe is and however fast it's expanding he's bigger There is not a place in the entire creation where he was not. And in one decision, he said, Daddy, I'll live in a closet. He never lost his godness because he can't. You, if you're God, you can't stop being him. That's one of the rules of being God. Um, he did give up his privilege, though. He gave up his privilege of being omniscient. He, he gave up his meaning all-knowing and that he now had to subject himself to the education from his creation. He had to learn what two plus two equals from, from Joseph and Mary. He was all-sufficient, needed nothing in this world, nothing in this world to help sustain him. Now he needed food. For the first time, he felt hunger. He was completely 
I guess you could say a baby's about as powerless as you can get. Completely dependent upon its own creation for assistance to survive. That's what he gave up. That's what kindness looks like to us. Why? So he came in contrast to what we deserved. He came in concert with love and that love expresses itself in kindness regularly. But what's the point with the intention of saving us? The intention of saving us. And saving us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, meaning there is nothing we can do good that wipes out our bad. Doesn't matter how, how, how much you try to poke your head up through the morass of sin and do something exceptional. Your criminal behavior in the kingdom, I'm not talking about Fairfax County, your criminal behavior in the kingdom, which are your sins, laws you have broken, cannot be atoned for by your good deeds. Nothing you do good is going to wipe out that which you've done bad. So you need help. I need help. There's no way I can save myself. I can't save myself based on my good deeds. I still have this mountain of offense that cries out for judgment against me. Everything I see in verse 3. So how am I going to fix verse 3 so I can get right? I couldn't. God did it because he has a disposition of kindness toward me. That's how he is predisposed. He is kind toward me when I don't deserve it. And as a result, he sent his son so that I didn't have to suffer for my own misdeeds. All my sins were blotted out. He took the great whiteboard and he erased everything on it. So it's not just as if I had never sinned. It's I get a brand new start to write it well. A whole new life, that's what we call the born-again experience. He wipes out our bad and gives us a new start to do right. And he does it by his mercy. Not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but by his mercy and the regeneration that comes from the washing of the Holy Spirit. Mercy is not receiving what you do deserve. Now I realize you think you deserve a lot because you're special. But remember, you're, you're judging yourself on the basis of not being Hitler. And so you look really good. Compared to him, you're an angel. But that's not the standard. We always make ourselves feel better by judging ourselves by the worst. And now I'm a saint. God has to like me. But the standard is not judging ourselves by the worst. It's judging ourselves by the best. And if we do that, we realize we have fallen way short of the glory he intended. So far short that there's no way we can reach up to get it on our own. And so he has to come down to help us, which he does so mercifully. Giving us, helping us, strengthening us, supporting us. We are not receiving that which we deserve. And on top of that, he's not just giving us, the, he's not just making sure we don't receive that which we do deserve. He's giving us what we don't deserve. Grace is that which we don't deserve. Gifts, blessings. He didn't just forgive my sin. He also called me his boy. 
He allowed me to be an inheritor of the stuff he's... Why would you adopt me? Why would... What, what, what in the world attracted you to, to... Nothing. He just decided because his love for mankind acts that way. Now, I am amplifying this almost ad nauseum, realizing I'm, I'm, I may be... The, the, the nail now is deep in the wall, and I keep pounding it. But I want you to understand something. That this is what kindness looks like. And do you do this for anybody? Or are you only kind to those who are kind to you? Is there anybody that you need to express love to that is reflected in your kindness that then allows for mercy to be extended that allows then for salvation to be given. And it may not be because you can't offer salvation to somebody through your own life. You can't save anybody. But a relationship might need to be saved. Something that you've pretty much filed in, in, in 13. Just right down in the trash. Because somebody offended you. Now, I'm working this around because we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Not just talking about Christmas. It's both and. So when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, this is stuff we are supposed to reflect to humanity. The evidence of the Spirit working in our life is that we need to show this kind of kindness to others. Not giving them what they deserve. And actually extending to them that which they don't. And that's what kindness looks like. And if you have not lived long enough to be tempted to be in the category of, of verse 3 where you are hating somebody, they are your enemy. They have really hurt. They, do you know, Pastor, what they said to me in social media? My Instagram I had to shut down. They talk so bad about me. They ruined my reputation. I don't want to. Just a little hypocritical. Just a little hypocritical. You who deserve judgment and didn't get it. And now somebody has done five things to you. Six. When your mound of sin was so high, you could look down on Everest from it. And God went, and you won't do it for somebody else? Freely you have received. Freely give. Again, these fruit of the Spirit are supernatural. All of you all are thinking right now about that person or persons. Everybody's got somebody who did popped up in your brain. You're thinking, I, can't, I, 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 just, I, just, I, just, I shouldn't have come to church today. I really, I just shouldn't have come. I shouldn't have come. I shouldn't have come. Well, you're bumping, bumping up against the ceiling of your natural ability. And you can't exceed it. And this is why it's Supernatural. The Holy Spirit in your life did not just come 
to wash and regenerate. Thank God he did. But he came to manifest himself in power so that people could evidence who he was through your life by you predisposing yourself to be kind to those who are not to you. <laughs> Let's say Merry Christmas like that. Let's make somebody else's Christmas real merry like that.